0: And that's kind of a very important message, I think, from this trial that we have to be aware that maybe adding more is not the perfect solution to this problem because it could be that especially the patients that don't get better also don't have the capacity to engage with more exercise.
1: What dosage of strengthening is appropriate for our everyday patients? It's a difficult question to answer, but today we had Mikkel beck Clausen on the podcast. Now, he currently works at the Department of Physio at the University of Copenhagen, and he recently published a paper the effectiveness of adding a large dose of shoulder strengthening to non-operative care for subacromial shoulder impingement. Now, the results weren't quite what I would expect anyway, but he talks us through the study and the results and how we got there and clinically what he thinks he would do after conducting this study. Please enjoy this podcast. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Mikkel and thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to getting to chat a bit about one of my favorite topics today.
1: Yes, you've just published this paper, which is super interesting. Could you let us know what this paper is called and what you did with this paper and the why behind it?
0: Yes, for sure. This paper is called The Effectiveness of Adding a Large Additional Dose of Strengthening Shoulder Strengthening to Non-Operative Care for Subacromial Impingement. Quite a long title, I know that.
1: <laughs> it is a long one. And and tell us what the aim was for this, or maybe even starting with the why behind this study.
0: Yeah, well, to give like a short recap of, of uh, what made us go in this direction to look at adding more strengthening to to usual care. First of all, we started out noticing that from previous research as well, that many patients did not improve sufficiently with current care. So we set out as a start to see if we could identify some key issues and try to address these. And we also know that rotator cuff strengthening was and still is a key component of non-operative care for subacromial impingement. And this makes actually perfectly good sense, as we have previously shown that patients will have to increase by 50% in average to reach normal levels. That's quite a lot. Mm. Interestingly, it also seems that these patients do not get stronger with current care, not in average, at least. Improvements are quite limited or non-existent in both trials and real life settings. It's important to note that impaired strength in itself may not be a limiting factor for the individual, but it may be an indicator of suboptimal muscle tendon health. Therefore, the lack of improvements could indicate that the exercise dose in current care was insufficient. To elicit the required physiological response. Therefore, we suggested that increasing the dose of shoulder strengthening could be a strategy to improve muscle tendon health and thereby shoulder-specific disability.
1: Yeah, and so that's really interesting because you're referencing some previous research which led you to the why behind this study. I guess before going into your study, what are we taking from that? Is that? Is it potentially that what we're prescribing is has not been enough to make strength changes or symptomatic change in patients with this condition? Is that kind of where we were before your study?
0: It could be. the The why about the prescribing is we saw from previous research that patients did not do very much exercise, and we also saw that they didn't improve in strength, and we at the same time saw that a lot of people didn't get sufficiently, sufficient improvements over time. So yeah. we kind of added that together and speculated, okay, if we look at the strengthening part of what we do as physios, could that be kind of the key to unlock some of this, uh, the problem with people not getting better? So there's a
1: compliance and potentially a dosage is- issue. Now, take us into... What you did in the study. So how was the study set up? And then we'll get on to the results.
0: Yeah. With this study, we decided to look into understanding if our suggested solution, like prescribing more, would be uh, of benefit in usual care to improve usual care. So we looked at it from a pragmatic perspective. What would change if we prescribed more? Yeah. So this means that our focus was on what would happen if the intervention was to be implemented in everyday clinical care. So this pragmatic setup, it uh, means that we had to have a big focus on achieving a high external validity so that this, these results could be translated into clinical practice on an almost one to one level and the setup with a pragmatic trial, it's not like the standard RCT, actually. It's, it's quite different from this efficacy study in which we aim to control all factors and look for the, more into the mechanism and could this work under the ideal circumstances. Mm. Uh, doing such a trial, you kind of lose out on the external validity so that you have problems transferring the results to uh, the clinical care. So we wanted to do something a bit closer to what we do in our everyday clinic. So that's why we went in that direction. And when we look at the the difference between these two approaches, the effectiveness or the efficacy trial, it's actually not like a black and white decision. It's two end of the spectrum. And your research question has kind of decides which end of the spectrum you're going to look for to make the better trial. So what this means uh, in relation to our study is that interpretation of our findings should be seen in the light of what happens if we, as healthcare providers, make this addition to usual care. So that's what we set out to find out about. This perspective is important when we look into the adherence and prescription question because we would never in our daily clinic expect that patients adhere 100% to what we prescribe. Yeah, that's right. We would actually expect that patients engage with an intervention in a broad variety of different ways. So that's exactly what we need to capture with a trial like this, this great variety in what patients decide to do with what we ask them to do.
1: The, The question that's coming up for me, I guess, is with those two groups, the usual care and then the addition, what you guys have put in this study, what was what was usual care? What were some of the dosages or exercises under usual care? And what did you add?
0: Yeah, let's start with the usual care, which was in, in both groups. And because we did the pragmatic trial, we didn't want to interfere. So we did all we could to not interfere with usual care. We actually didn't tell anyone about the study while it was going on and tried to keep it as a secret as it was going on because we didn't want the therapist conducting and delivering usual care to change anything. But usual care in this group was that they got a a choice to go to a free free of charge uh, physiotherapy, which is usual care in, in Denmark. And that is expected to follow clinical guidelines and is exercise based, but not with a specific focus on strengthening, but a wide variety of exercises are used and and also as we all know when you look at a broad spectrum of therapists and patients a lot of different things will happen yeah so that's kind of what what the the basis was we had done one previous study when we where we asked patients how much time they had spent on exercises during during the last six six months and we could see from that that it wasn't like impressive so so we had a good idea that adding more would not be like a stupid decision. They, they had room for more, let's say like that.
1: Okay. So we were relying on the physios in Denmark to provide usual care and a kind of law of averages. So some would have really advanced exercises. Some might have basic exercises.
0: That's true. That's true. Okay. We also relied on the physios to, to get give exercises that was targeting the specific goals of the individual patients. So all the more advanced exercises would be added throughout the course of treatment. So we didn't have to focus on that. That was part of usual care. So we decided on on focusing on a a specific part of the the treatment with the study.
1: Awesome. And what was the intervention group? So what did you add on top of usual care?
0: We added... uh, actually a quite simple but high-dose strengthening exercise intervention. It consisted of three phases. In the first phase, we had only one exercise. In the next phase, we added one. And in the third phase, we added one additional exercise. And we tried to aim for the intervention to not have patients spend more than 15 minutes per day approximately doing this because we we knew that there is a certain limit of how much you can expect patients to do. Yeah, that's good. And then we also, for each phase, we uh, increase the relative load of the exercises as well. And we we chose to focus on abduction and external rotation in the exercises, as these are the movements that we have previously found were highly impaired in these patients. And also, these exercises are very good at targeting the posterior cuff uh, muscle tendon unit, which tend to be... Some degree related to this problem. And with recent research, we have been told that the compression or lack of space in the subacromial room may not be that closely related to the problem. But even though this may not be the case in, in all patients, we decided to focus on exercises that didn't compress the, or at least compress the tendon as little as possible. So we, we decided to keep the movement in a, in a, so to say, safe position for the patients. And that's, that also helped us telling the patients that even if they had pain, it was, it was not likely to be due to compression of the tendons uh, in the shoulder. So if they had kind of that fear going into doing some, uh, some exercise that we could kind of tone down that aspect as well. And that was actually quite important for us because these patients are from a sort of a selected group. They've been through a lot of treatment before they go to the hospital in secondary care. So we have like the patients with the most severe problems. They've had pain for a long time. Some of them almost can't move their shoulder. And so they're they're quite nervous about starting to exercise actually. So we wanted some exercises that we can tell could tell them that they could safely do. And also be able to say that even though you have pain, that's just fine. And we gave them very specific instructions in relation to how they were to act, even though they had pain. They, it should just be bearable. And as long as it was reduced to normal levels within 24 hours, that was, that was fine.
1: That's good guidance.
0: And with
1: probably three or four minutes to go, Mikhail, could you take us to what you found? And, and did this challenge you? And how might we apply this clinically?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, we actually, the results are quite easy to, to go through because we didn't find any difference between the two groups. So that's kind of the short, very short and neat conclusion on this one. Yeah. It's important that when we look at this result, it's, it's important to note that we actually managed to get a very good inclusion of patients. So we had a very good external validity of these results. So it's not kind of a a sampling or a selection bias that we're reporting here. What's also interesting to note is that looking at the within group changes in both groups, we saw a quite dramatic improvement in self-reported function during the first five weeks. Uh, and then not so much after that, okay. but looking at strength, we didn't see any dramatic improvements during the course of the four months. Also, looking at uh, the patient's acceptable symptom state, we saw that only half of them had, had reached a, an acceptable symptom state at four month follow-up. So if we hadn't measured adherence, as we did closely with a, with a sensor on the elastic band, then the results could actually have stopped right here. But, but we did, so we had some, some extra information in this trial. So we could see that patients obviously had not done with what we prescribed, which is not, that big of a shocker, And <laughs> so that's what, in, that's what we expect always as physios, I guess, looking at all patients where we prescribe an exercise, it would not be done 100% of the times, 100% of the quality and so, so on. So what we can discuss now is that is what they did, would that be enough to expect a clinical improvement? And that's still up for discussion, I guess. We have a few results from other uh, studies suggesting that it might be, but but we don't know yet. And there's also this this funny thing that because we also asked patients how much time they spend on doing exercises in usual care, uh, we saw this shift in the intervention group where they, for some reason, decided or ended up doing less, spending less time on usual care exercises in the intervention group. So it looks a bit like they decided to changed the add-on intervention for some of the ex- uh, usual care exercises. We tried to adjust for this in an analysis. And that showed us that, that it doesn't seem to be the the explanation to the lack of difference between the groups. So that's kind of the com- conclusions that we are at now. But it's interesting to see that maybe they didn't have the capacity or the willingness to to engage with any more exercise than they already do. And that's kind of a very important message, I think, from this trial that we have to be aware that maybe adding more is not the perfect solution to this problem because it could be that especially the patients that don't get better also don't have the capacity to engage with more exercise. So we, we have to find out if, if that's important and if it's possible actually to do something about it.
1: Mikhail, I was going to ask with about a minute to go, what would you tell a clinician about this study? What would be your one or two clinical pearls that have come from this?
0: I would say that an important message from this is that we have been tighter changing. And sometimes some sorts of exercises have like high priority. And every once in a while, you hear officials say that, okay, I just feel that the patients need to do more of what I tell them to do uh, in order to get better. And I think we have to think about that based on the results from this trial and also look for other solutions than adding exercises and maybe accepting that the patients do not have the time or the willingness to engage with the amount of exercise that we would like as physiotherapists, even though we could see that this might lead to some, some very nice results for the patients as well.
1: There's some good learnings in there about compliance and how much we prescribe. Mikkel, thank you so much for your time today and sharing this study with us and we'll, we'll attach it. And I think there's been an interesting thread on Twitter that we can attach to the show notes as well. And thank you again for your time and this study. Thank you for having me.